Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to Observations. If you want to talk comic books and movies and your favorite television shows, whether they're on network or streaming or cartoons or anime, manga, I'm your guy. That's what we do here. That's what we do. We talk all of those things. We um, crush them together and make them into a uh, a, a delicious uh, milkshake of pop culture that we slowly slurp together. At least that's how that's how I kind of like to think of it, right? I mean, the, the, the entire purpose of me doing this podcast was to share my experiences as I encountered comic books and how they grew and evolved over the years, pulling my first comic books off the spinner rack in the early 70s, 1974, exactly. I know that sounds like the um, age of the stagecoach to many of you, um, or the Pony Express, but I assure you there were automated cars, just not a whole lot of um, computers yet. Color TVs were, were just kind of starting to be a thing. Yes, I'm that old, and I've been digging this stuff for that long, and I have watched it become the uh, the soup du jour, if you would, of, of, of our culture and our society. It, it, it blows my mind that, uh, that comic books, superheroes, supervillains, characters, graphic novels are being consumed in the way they are uh, in, 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 in the culture right now and how many titles and, and characters are, are in the process of being adapted. Some, some of my own, some of my friends, some long-standing uh, characters that, that were never more than like B or C list characters. And, and I'll, I'll go there. I'll tell you right now. Loki was not a A-list character in the Marvel Universe at any, at any time. Thor was. Thor was an A-list character. Loki was his chief rival, but Loki didn't really move the needle in, in regards to, to comic books. And uh, he was a great foil, but I, I wouldn't even put him in the top five Marvel villains of my entire youth in terms of collecting. That would, that would go to Doctor Doom. That would go to Dr. Octopus. That would go to Magneto. Uh, definitely Green Goblin and and Kang the Conqueror. I mean, it, it, it's it's like Loki, because of his presence in these Thor films, um, and now, the, the to be honest, the amazing turn uh, as a character, as a performance that Tom Hiddleston has given... Uh, he is now 100% A-list. There's no, there's no question. There's no going back either. He, he made it. He rang the bell, and now we are consuming this Loki sh- show on Disney Plus, alongside all of their other magnificent Marvel productions that that are now kind of becoming part of what we expect. I mean, I, I don't think again, you can't go back. These, these shows, streaming shows. I don't know if any of them are going to get a second season. I don't know how that's going to work, but I think a constant diet of that is going to be on the menu from now going forward. And so that's part of the, wow, Loki. Loki became, and, and Loki honestly was never seen as an attractive guy either. He was kind of a maniacal, sinister looking guy. And the Tom Hiddleston uh, portrayal of him has made him much more dashing and handsome and 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 visually fetching as well. And so so again, it's, 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 it's watching what happens to these characters that lived on pen and paper. You know, there wasn't a, a hit Thor cartoon. The, the cartoons of my youth were Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and X-Men. And uh, Thor never really get, got his bite at the big time. Uh, you know, and again, we have to go back and realize that Marvel was dealing with all they had left. Fox Studios had the 
options on the entire X-Men universe and everything that is contained in those. Wolverine, Deadpool, uh, Gambit. And, and then they had the Fantastic Four universe, which besides Reed, Ben, Sue, and Johnny gave you access to Silver Surfer and Galactus and that entire world. And then they had Daredevil for, for a brief period, probably five, six years, which gave you the Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner um, Daredevil film. And, and you got Bullseye and Kingpin, and they had an access to that that entire realm. So so over at Sony, they had all the Spider-Man titles. All of the Spider-Man titles. So what Marvel was left with, as you know, was the basically the Avengers family to exploit. And they did the best they could. And part of that was putting Thor on the menu. And so Thor was the second, uh, third, I guess, Hulk had already had a movie by Universal. Marvel took their swing at, at producing it from whole cloth with them as a partner, but the um, the Ed Norton Hulk movie was the second up at bat for that franchise. Iron Man was the first offering from the pure Marvel Studios, what we know now as the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Thor, you know, came up next, and then a couple months later, in the summer of 20, uh, 2011, we got we got Captain America. So so it's a uh, you know Thor kind of got up to bat and took his big swings because so much of what was to be offered by Marvel was was co-opted, licensed, controlled by other studios. And then, of course, you get this great performance by Chris Hemsworth. You get these great performances from Tom Hiddleston. And now you've got these these guys rocket to the top. And, and, and Chris Hemsworth's portrayal as Thor, especially the last turn in Ragnarok, has, has obviously given him a huge platform. And Tom Hiddleston as well. And I've, I've said it before, Hiddleston is the biggest star that they featured in these... Um, in, in these streaming shows, as, as great as Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany have been, and 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 uh, and as great as Anthony Mackie is, they have never carried franchises before. Hiddleston has several. Uh, the Night Manager, um, which is a great spy series that was on TNT and with the BBC several years ago. His obviously commanding performance in the King Kong film, uh, Skull Island, and uh, I mean the guy, the, the camera loves him. He's a stellar performer, and I and and then. With Owen Wilson, I think Owen Wilson is is literally the biggest kind of co-star that they've had in these. So it's great. It's great to see. It's 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 the best example I have right now of wow! I cannot believe this happened. I cannot believe Loki is a standalone, uh, marquee marquee a list character and 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 performance. And so that that's that's what we chew on. That that's what we chew on here. And, and or or maybe it's just what I present to you in my in my shock and awe. But um, we have a fun show today um, on, on, on the Rob Observations podcast network. And, and, and part of the, the fun show today, we start with hot topics. And part of those hot topics that I'm going to give you is, is, is a result of my trip to get comics in the last 24 hours. There were two notable, um, three notable comics that were on the menu that I was going to pick up. I will not be naming them. Because I don't need that um, grief in my life, and I don't need to name them. I don't need to name them because uh, it's the results of these comics that that we're going to um, examine, and they they really aren't. Uh, 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 the 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 title of the comic and the talent that produced it aren't really the important factors here because it's part of a trend. And these comics that I showed up to get. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, my, my comic book buying has become less reliant in, 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 in recent months, in the last few months. I, 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 I have comics that are held for me, like several of you. I have a pull list, 
And when I go in or, or, or I see something that I want to make sure that I have, I contact my retailer. That's what you have to do in, in today's world. You have to contact your retailer and express to them that, hey, could you grab that for me? Because because so many retailers are really now not ordering for um, extras. They are just ordering specifically for, for sell-through uh, at the highest possible level so that they're not stuck with extra copies left over during the weekend. And again, if the comic book didn't sell through through the weekend, very few retailers want to want they, they want those books sold through. They don't want to carry into the next week. As one of my retail friends told me, it is a never been a what have you done for me lately business? What have you done lately for me? What's the book of the week than it is now? People come in, they rush, they buy a title, they leave, and and they may not pick up the other offerings on the shelf. So uh, ordering to the bone is kind of what a lot of retailers, especially the ones in my area, and, and look, I live in Southern California. It's a very uh, progressive and and economically um, um, bountiful uh, uh, you know area. We have plenty of comic stores, but they seem to be going by this same practice. Also, remember there are so many comics, and this is something that we're going to really lean into as well as part of this. There are so many titles out there that it is hard to know how much to order of each given title. I mean, between Boom Studios, Dark Horse, Image Comics, um, Dynamite, then Marvel, DC, uh, and, and all the million, you know, comic book publishers and all of their offerings that I didn't I didn't offer. I mean, there are a lot of choices. But these three choices were by the big publishers. But, but between, between all of these titles that I went to get, that had piqued my interest, that it had a certain amount of hype, I went and grabbed them. And I, last evening, I sat down to consume them. And one of them, two of them, two of them are oversized. One of them is way oversized. One of them is in the 60-page range. Another is in the 36, 38-page range. Let's start with the 38-page range book. In this 38-page range book, I kid you not, kids. I kid you not, fellow adults, fellow travelers, there is not a single punch thrown, not a single punch and not a single arm extended. There is no conflict, fight, battle, single punch thrown in the entirety of this 38-page story. And I just kind of scratched my head because this is, I'm getting a lot of this lately and you are too. We as the consumer are getting like it is the rise of the no conflict comic book, which goes completely against, in my opinion, uh, what Marvel was 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 born to to give you, and and what what DC once they adopted Marvel's uh, more action packed mantra, especially in the '80s, the books really reflected the Marvel dynamic, and then the Image Comics. Come on, we were we had really kind of turned up the volume. I, I, I mentioned that Image Comics gave you the loudest visuals that we possibly could. We tried to make our pages loud, and it was a competition between each other, McFarlane, Lee, Silvestri, Larson, Protasio, myself, Valentino, Keown. We were trying to make the loudest pages, and, 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 and we would see, oh, that's how that guy did that. That's a different turn or twist, and then I'm going to do this, and we pushed each other. We were trying to make the most dynamic visuals, the most dynamic pages, the loudest pages we possibly could, uh, each and every month in, in, in our race to try and, uh, and, and entertain you. And, and because that's when you get up in the morning and you try and, uh, produce content, you are doing it with the hopes that what is entertaining you is also entertaining the masses. 
And, and, and that kind of goes hand in glove. You're trying to make something that not only pleases you, but pleases fans. Because through that, you will gain possibly a more dedicated audience, if not expand your audience altogether. So, this comic book, this 38-page comic that failed to... And, and these are action-oriented characters. They are action-oriented characters, characters over the course of the history of these characters. No one threw a punch. No one so much as cast a sword or swung a blade, fired an arrow. Um, there was some waving of arms and some powers used, but there were no punches thrown in a 38-page comic. Now, the Stan Lee kind of menu, and I saw this uh, put in action, especially as, as live action, in the, the live reading of the Spider-Man uh, Kingpin saga from like 68, 69, 59, whatever the numbers were, it was by Stan Lee, John Romita Sr. I mentioned it on a um, the ranking the greatest Spider-Man artist of all time, uh, which was several podcasts back. It is our most listened to podcast, by the way. Who knew that that stating my five significant favorite Spider-Man artists would spark the biggest audience we've ever had? And uh, that was completely kind of unexpected for me because I, I I just was not expecting this to to, to, to to go over like that, but it did. And it came as a result of me attending in, in, in Orange County, there was a, uh, a, a, a live on, on a, in a, in a venue that throws, that stages plays in a, in a playhouse. They had a live reading of multiple issues of Spider-Man. And in those multiple issues of Spider-Man, um, they were reenacting the John Romita Sr. Stanley Kingpin saga when Kingpin first came on the, the scene and Spider-Man um, briefly stops being Spider-Man for an issue. It's it's very entertaining, but it, it, it I was watching as they put each page on screen and, 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 and went from panel to panel. There was some really creative editing on how they, you know, got you from panel to panel. Um, that they, they uh, and they had sound effects, live actors reading each part, but it adhered to the Stanley, which later then became the Jim Shooter Bible of seven. The opening seven pages of your story is, um, or the opening six, depending on your your comic being seventeen to eighteen pages long, which they were back then, or later the twenty-two page um, added pages that happened at the end of the seventies, early eighties in Marvel Comics. The idea was your opening six seven pages is showing your characters your character in. In action, showing them using their powers. If it's Spider-Man, he's swinging. He's using his spider strength. He's crawling on a on a wall. He's you know spraying his webs. Okay, you see the limits and the extent of what this character can do. With Captain America, it's generally him um, engaging in some some sort of fisticuffs. Definitely throwing his shield. You see the shield being thrown, returning to him. Um, the strength of the shield and it can it, it can deflect bullets and explosions and protect Cap. So all that, then you would go into a seven-page kind of soap opera element where the character was put through its paces, maybe showing up at the Daily Bugle looking for another assignment, but there's no assignments to give. And then Peter uh, Parker wanders around the city wondering how he's going to pay rent and 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 how he's going to pay the medical bills that Aunt May is is piling up, or is he going to be able to afford that date with Gwen Stacy or Mary Jane? Okay, then and 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 within that, you're also getting some subplots of of the characters' machinations. You know, maybe an office, maybe 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 you're in the lab with Doc Ock, or you're in the boardroom with uh, with Kingpin. Okay, and then the uh, 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 another round of action ends your book, ends your title, as the villain or the villains 
launch their attack and that your hero is under siege and it generally always was supposed to end with a cliffhanger ensuring that your interest was there to return. Well, that is a lost art. That Those are the comic books that I grew up on. Those are the comic books that I sought to recreate. That vibe, that's what we all did. A casual look at the cataloged work of myself and my image peers because we were the best-selling artists, creators of our age. That is why I, I, I bring this to the fore. We have, um, you know, I, I have definitely areas of expertise. I don't know what it would be like to listen to this podcast if you are a Rob Liefeld hater and Rob Liefeld has the facts and figures of his own career in front of him as well as his peers. And maybe you hate not just myself, but Image Comics, and you can't stand the fact that to, to hear that we were the best-selling comic books of an age. Sales that were not equaled have not been matched since. Um, all of the possible needles that could have been moved were moved. They were moved dramatically. They were moved um, in the biggest possible way. And, and we introduced characters and situations and conflicts that rocked an entire era of fans. And what I have been learning, that's for so many of you, the 90s was your version of my 70s. That, that the comics that I was picking up in 1974 that were shaping my life, you were picking up in 1992, 1994, 1995. If that's the case, again, the Image Comics uh, approach, which was a Stan Lee, Jim Shooter approach on steroids, to intended to be faster, louder, stronger, was then the reactionary um, element to a lot of the different talents the, the Kubert brothers, who were doing comic books prior to the Image Guys blowing up, I, I followed Adam and Andy's work in the late 80s, early 90s when they were breaking out, they followed the aesthetic. They became bigger. They became stronger, faster, louder. They were huge inheritors of this style and this approach, and they took the gauntlet and they said, I can do this. I can match this. I can exceed this. Adam Kubert alone. I felt his run on Wolverine was a guy pushing the boundaries and understood like he was one of the... He, it was almost like he was one of us in the in the early two years of the, the the image creation of the 90s that he was alongside of us going I can do this I can I can give you double page spread splash pages anchor pages um, a, 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 a construct of, of panel design that can rival and exceed anything that you guys are doing I mad respect Adam uh, created some just amazing works of art design pages um, he, he's just a, a stunning. Uh, draftsman, illustrator, storyteller, all my respect to him. Always, um, I've always, you know, had nothing but uh, incredible respect for the entire Kubert family. Eventually, we will focus on that school, their father, Joe Kubert, his legendary status in the business, and his two amazing sons. But wanted to give them a shout out as I was always aware. We were always looking at each other. It's no different than players watching other players in any sport, the NFL, the NBA, MLB, everybody's tracking everybody's stats and accomplishments at all time because the bar is always being raised and a new measurement is 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 being laid down. Now as a result, this 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 formula that we took on steroids somehow petered out by the mid 2000s where by all uh 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 admission by 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 the publishers both Marvel and DC they invested more heavily in writers they 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 artists were whatever we were we were temperamental undependable put it on the table whatever excuse there was to go away and shift away from artists they felt that they made the writers more of the marquee uh talent that those writers who could write 3 to 4 books a month as opposed to a penciler who could at max a good penciler Two books a month? 
I mean, again, John Byrne made a uh, a career out of being a guy who could give you 40 plus pages a month. Sometimes he did 60, but um, but but in the in the kind of the prime of his career, he just locked into I'm going to give you two books a month every month without fail. It's part of his flex. It's part of why he was as successful as he was. John Byrne gave you that formula that I'm talking about. Open up with Superman doing something super fantastic, whether it's his super breath, his supervision, his super speed, his super strength. Segway to a Clark Kent subplot, Lois Lane subplot, Lex Luthor subplot, end with an attack and a cliffhanger and more use of powers. Okay. This 38-page comic that I consumed yesterday had none of this. It was meandering. It was a lot of talking. And then the 60-page uh, giant comic, it has, out of 60 pages, I counted seven acts of action, swinging arms, um, conflict, a punch here and there. Um, it was not what I was expecting, to say the least, but... Uh, kind of on the same level as the 38 pages in regards to how little the action was. Uh, the final book, uh, which, which again, these are traditional action heroes who are defined by their actions and have been over the years. No one, n- none of these characters in across any of these books from Marvel and DC that I'm speaking of came to the fore and none of their favorite, none of your favorite issues of them, none of their storied, most celebrated books are them standing around talking. But in these books, they stand around and they talk a lot. And I mean a lot. And what what is happening, as I can see it, having known some of these writers and being friends with some of the friends of some of these writers and hearing from some of these writers, is again, they favor um, the the more verbose uh, elements of people like Quentin Tarantino and David Mamet um, and, and, and most certainly they fancy themselves the Aaron Sorkin of comic books. I've touched on this before, but this bears repeating. It is not a judgment. It is acknowledgement of an approach. The, uh, the approach is they want to regale you with their mastery of, of the English language and the, the speeches and the, the interchanges and the funny quips and the barbs and the innuendo and an an occasional idea, and and here's the deal: nobody did that better than than Alan Moore at his prime. But Alan Moore could also be counted on to throw a punch. Rorschach would get into a brawl, whether it was on the streets or in the prison that he had infiltrated, and um, Night Owl would exert his, you know, his his action tendencies, even though he was overweight and his costume didn't fit him very well anymore. That Watchmen is not a book without action. It is not the same as Dark Knight, which is a book that is heavily based on action. And action and action choreography is what I grew up on. A casual grab this morning off my spinner rack of different books that I have. There are some team books, some solo books. I took them. These are from the 17 and the 22 page era of comics. Uh, in, in, in a 17-page book, 11 pages featured action. So we are over the two-thirds threshold of action in a comic book. In another one that I grabbed, there was 12 pages of the 17 pages. Someone was throwing a punch, blasting you, uh, knocking you through a wall. I mean, there was. I'm talking about sheer force being 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 released, received, thrown back. So it's not just always punches. It's 
you know, throwing lightning into your face and, and you know, blasting them with a force blast through a wall. Uh, one guy running through a wall carrying multiple people on his back. Okay, and, and yet another one that I took, a 22-page comic. Uh, uh, 14 of those 22 pages had action. So again, in each case, the comic books that I grew up loving and the comic books that I produced and me and my peers produced were always airing on two-thirds of that book was action. So it's a formula. When I encountered the formula, the Stan Lee, Jim Shooter, open with action, middle characterization, close with action, I realized that most of the comic books I ever loved were absolutely enacting this practice. They were, um, they were, they, 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 they were exhibiting this tendency. And I think to great success. Marvel eventually overtook DC for a reason. And it's because their books were more fun, and by more fun, they were action-packed. They were not people standing around giving long speeches and diatribes. But this is this is the world that we are living in right now in June of 2021 as I speak into this microphone and tell you about these comic books that I encountered last evening that I was a little shocked. Um, some pretty pictures, some prettier than others, uh, and, and yet one of them has zero, zero action, zero fight, zero conflict, and it makes you wonder because one of these books engages in this routinely, regularly, and has turned this franchise that was once so action-oriented into um, a, 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 an idea about a, about a discourse of an approach and a discourse of, of ideas themselves, which is interesting to a point. But man, with some of the talent that's available out there, how you cannot... Um, have people knocking each other around? How can you not have people kicking each other through walls? Is beyond me. I don't get it. I've mentioned Frank Miller often. I've mentioned Walt Simonson often. John Byrne, George Perez, Jim Starlin, uh, Howard Chaikin. These guys knew how to throw a punch, a kick. Dare- when Frank Miller came on Daredevil, so much of what he did was action choreography and so many great great set pieces. His epic battles with Bullseye, one that was carried across the 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 highest rooftops in Manhattan. Another went into the bowels of the subways and battled across subway tracks, ending in in a in a really crucial sequence uh, with with an oncoming subway car, subway train. Okay, um, these are these are ingrained in my memories. Again, uh, some incredible battles down by the docks, off the water. I mean, the Submariner comics that I grew up loving. Loving, he's pounding people at the bottom of the ocean before flying you know, hurling them up through the waters and then throwing them, you know, onto the land and then the, the then the battle continues on land. Um, Superman, Man of Steel, I couldn't believe it came out unbelievably, came out eight years ago. Uh, I think just, just the other day that, 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 that was released and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been that long. But the reason that I favored Man of Steel and loved it and it took me out of my seat and, 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 and it just had me at rapt attention the entire time was the amount of action from the opening uh, battles on Krypton with with, with uh, Russell Crowe as, as Jor-El all the way through the fi- finale where um, Man of Steel, Superman, and, and General Zod just lay waste. And, and, and again, I, I've always, I believe that he is just now becoming Superman. Therefore, Henry Cavill is more like Superboy and probably had a lot to learn, but was battling to save a planet from an oppressive invader who wanted to kill everybody. And so the justification for all of the destruction in my mind was, was fine. It, it, it was justified because it was really a winner take all 
uh, battle to the death for mankind. But it had so much great action. I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely thrilled at every inventive punch and seeing these superpowers displayed in the manner that they were on screen. To me, that is one of the greatest flexes, and those are some of the best superhero battles I'd ever seen. Matter of fact, in regards to action, I was speaking to my kids and I was speaking to my um, my, my, my friends the other day about the fact that in my memory, there has been only one franchise launched outside of the Marvel and DC universes in the recent uh, in recent years. Only one or two. Um, I mean, so many attempts to launch new franchises. I mean, let's let's think back to the dawn of Iron Man and all of the failures to launch. So Iron Man, summer 2008, right? We got Iron Man, it launches May 2008. Then the next week, Speed Racer got caught in the in the melee and failed to launch. Along the way, we've seen John Carter fail to launch, okay? Um, we've had multiple different DC Comics titles fail to launch. The fact that there is not a dedicated Superman sequel questions the overall success that was the Man of Steel because they didn't make another dedicated sequel, which I have, I do not quite understand why, but but it is what it is. Um, that the, there was I think uh, is is it Jupiter Rising, Jupiter Ascending. There was a Wachowski Brothers sci-fi uh, uh, another attempt at a franchise. It also failed to launch. That that it's the 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 landscape is littered with failures to launch. But one small small budgeted film with an actor who had not had a recent hit. Launched out of the gate, each each one has been bigger than the next. The budgets have 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 grown as the franchise has become more beloved, celebrated, popular, and that's John Wick. And John Wick with Keanu Reeves is predicated 100% on this insane action choreography, and it has given birth to this age of the action. Uh, director as well, Sam Hargrave directed Chris Hemsworth in Extraction, which is really a small story which has multiple action set pieces in it. And that movie went on to become Netflix's number one movie of all time. It is still the reigning champ about 16 months after it premiered, but it is a movie predicated on action, conflict, and choreography. And people love to watch it over and over and over again, just as they are gearing up to buy tickets to watch Fast and the Furious, which puts all of its emphasis on action. Again, I said since the Marvel, since 2008, obviously Fast and the Furious goes back to 2001 and has had a huge, long, extended line. But again, since the MCU launched, there has been very few. We already had Star Wars movies. We already had Indiana Jones movies. We We already had the Alien franchise. My other caveat is horror films. While A Quiet Place is looking to break out and become a much bigger franchise, I would say it now is that other franchise. But horror films conjuring so many of these horror films have multiple franchises. They, they, they have big weekends that justify small budgets and they can keep rolling those again and again and again and again. I mean, the Halloween movie can be made for $8 million and keep making movies on 8 to $10 million and make money. I'm talking about big, giant, all four, what they call the four quadrant. And the four quadrant is... You know, boys and women, boy, young boys, young girls, middle-aged women, middle-aged girls. That's the four quadrants. If all four of them are going into the multiplex, if all four of them are paying to see it on streaming, then you have a four-quadrant hit. That is that is what makes blockbusters, is when grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and brother and sister are all in theater seeing Avengers, which is how those movies went down and you would look and you'd see the silver hairs, you'd see the middle-aged, you'd see the young parents, you'd see the teenagers, you'd see the little boys and girls. 
when every quadrant is covered, you know you have a blockbuster. And the John Wick movies have done that. And they have done that on creative action choreography, a lost art in comic books for certain. Manga never, ever fails to, to embrace and completely enact action. Swinging swords, guns ablazing, karate kicks, martial arts, super-powered titans throwing each other through walls. Manga and anime never err on the side of long speeches. It's like at the end of Watchmen when Ozymandias is talking about the quote-unquote long villain speech. And you didn't really think I'd give the long villain speech if I didn't already pull this off because what I'm telling you happened, happened an hour ago. That's a great twist. But the idea that every villain gives the long speech, it's like these writers have all been lining up these current day writers that have been kind of cultivated over the last 10 to 15 years are lining up to be that long villain speechwriter, except they do it over an entire issue where no one for 38 pages throws a single punch or kick. Again, manga, anime, John Wick, th these things are thriving, they're blowing up, and their emphasis is on action. I just finished a five-issue Snake Eyes G.I. Joe miniseries, Snake Eyes, the breakout character over the last 40 years in G.I. Joe. I erred on the side of action choreography. Every issue has a giant action set piece. As a matter of fact, it has two or three of them because I really, I figured there are very few books doing this. So I'll be the guy that does this. This is what I've always done, but very few people are doing this. And so many of my peers have retired, have not drawn interiors in five or six years or longer. <clears throat> So I decided I'd be that guy. I'll do that. And and it has met with success. And I will always err on the side of action choreography. Of course, I'm going to put my own example out there because I want you to know that you're not going to grab a book with long villain speechwriter, 36 pages, um, um, dialogue, you know, ramblings. And, and so my question is, where did the action go? When is it coming back? Why did it go away? These are answers. These are questions I don't have the answers to. But they're worth chewing on. And again, this is predi this, this, this entire fire was lit under me by the fact that unbelievably, these books I bought yesterday are lean on action. They are literally between the 38 and the 60. You're talking 98 pages. And I can tell you that there were seven pages of action between both page, both books combined. And again, the Stan method, the Marvel method, the Jim Shooter taunt method was predicated was it was it was it, it was it was required it was required that your characters be shown in action and we have gone so far away from that now are there independent books that are action packed there are firepower for one robert kirkman uh robert kirkman chris somney uh firepower it never fails to deliver a healthy dose of action um each and every issue it, it is a book uh, based in 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 some martial arts training some mytho mythological um you know, Eastern kind of um, legends and, 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 and it cranks, it, it kicks, it hits. It, it does not forget what a comic book is meant to involve because we are, again, what are we competing against? I'll tell you what we're competing against. Well, my sons are at night plug into their multi-online online player games with their friends and they are hunting, they are shooting, they are, they are cutting, they are, they are, they are fighting opposing forces. The video game division of life has not forgotten about this. Whether you're breaking in and stealing cars or you're mowing down someone with a video game rifle or you're in a in a katana 
fight or lightsaber duel. The action is the the threshold of every video game. And, and yet again, in comic books, where has the action gone? Okay, it was worth this much time in Hot Topics. Um, I'm discussing it. I am hopeful that we will return to an age of artist and writer who values action and giving it to you on a full, a, a supersized meal, a supersized plate, because I believe comics are better off when they're action-packed, when they're moving, when they don't forget to throw a punch and a kick, uh, a headbutt, a headbutt even, okay? So guys, that is today's Hot Topics. Where did all the action go? And kind of tracking the history of where this action um, was was utilized at its best. And now the, 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 the real the real, uh, real life results and dilemma of the fact that the action has gone away in some of your biggest titles. And I'm hopeful, very hopeful, very soon that it will find its way back. So I can't really have an episode all about action in comics and where'd the action go without turning you guys on to some of the best action I've ever experienced in comics. Okay. And so, so, uh, we are about to go forth, go forward and talk about some of the very best action, action sequences, action comic books I have ever experienced. I've tried to keep them in the affordable range, perhaps in the downloadable range. Um, if, if you can't um, find them at a comic store, perhaps they're on Comixology. Just in, in case you just want to be able to experience these and not um, pay a ton. But but I am going to give you what I have believed, I believe, I know, are some of the very best action-oriented comic books, comic book storylines I have ever experienced. And uh, hopefully there's some surprises in there. Uh, maybe maybe a couple couple of curveballs along the way. But um, most certainly, I hope to uh, to to turn you on to some 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 stuff that that, that, that allows you to see um, the, the the reason why my generation grew up on action oriented uh, comic books because these um it, it it when when it's done well when it's done right. It's powerful. It's um, it's exhilarating. It's it's uh, it's incredibly, incredibly, um, just uh, exciting and inspiring and, and, and inspiring. Um, so 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 here we're we're gonna get down to it. You're gonna hear some familiar names. Maybe you're gonna see some hear some names for the very first time because I really tried to grab an eclectic uh, group of really powerful action comic books. So when you hear this is my stack. I, I, I got them right next to me. Some of them are in hardcover and trade paperback form, but I wanted to uh, to share these with you guys. I am going to, no list would be complete or correct without Jack the King Kirby. So we're going to start with Jack the King Kirby. And you guys, whether it's his Black Panther run, um, some issues of OMAC, certainly issues of New Gods, uh, Forever People, Mr. Miracle, uh, Commandy, Machine Man, the Avengers, the X-Men, everything that he ever did was was featured terrific action. But in my opinion, Jack Kirby never depicted action in, in a more exciting manner than he did when he was depicting Captain America. Jack is my favorite Captain America artist for a reason. Not only did he create Captain America, he just drew him more powerfully, majestic, and 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 more action-oriented on the move than, than any artist I've ever seen since. There is no before, given that he created Captain America, so there can't be a, a before. But but um, specifically, I grabbed 
Uh, now th these are these are <laughs> these are books you're going to have to get through some sort of reprint function. They're in a trade paperback called Captain America versus the Red Skull that collects a bunch of uh, Captain America's battles versus the Red Skull over the ages. This particular edition was, let's see, when was this published? This is, I believe, 2011. 2011 is when this volume came out. But the issues I'm going to quote here are three issues from Tales of Suspense. Tales of Suspense was a comic that, that Cap shared with Iron Man. It was Tales of Suspense featuring Iron Man and Captain America. Once an issue, they'd switch. Cap would be the first story. Iron Man would be the second. It was great. Um, they, you always got a killer, awesome, amazing tale. Uh, Tales of Suspense 79, 80, 81 uh, are, are some of my favorite Cap fights, action sequences, battles. Tales of Suspense... Uh, number 79 opens up with Cap flying over these uh, the, these assassins, armored assassins. He dives into them, he kicks them, he tosses them about, he throws his shield at them. It, it is ridiculously exciting. You pivot to um, Red Skull. Um, uh, another one of the assassins shows up while Cap is downloading with a, uh, a psychologist, a scientist, and they just start throwing blows at each other again. It is ridiculously um, engaging and exciting. And and uh, I, I'm telling you, Jack is in fine form here. This is, you know, um, later 60s Jack. He is he is refined. Uh, he, he is um, polished. Again, he, he is not the, um, the, the, the early Jack Kirby who was, was, was forming himself in the Fantastic Four. Now, there are some great, again, thing, Fantastic Four battles... Um, I chose to go to double down on the Captain America depiction, the most powerful Captain America depictions that I think of, Cap, of, of uh, from from his creator Jack Kirby. Further, going further in Tales of Suspense number eighty is uh, as we further this Red Skull storyline. These assassins work for Red Skull. Cap jumps from a, an experimental rocket onto an AIM airship. He crashes in. Um, he battles away control of the cockpit from the AIM guy as the AIM guy is shooting him. Um, the AIM guy ejects uh, his his chair. He's like, I can't beat Cap. He's got me. So he um, ejects the chair. Cap is is grabs onto the ejected chair and falls with him as it parachutes. Um, they land in the water. He um, the, the AIM uh, character runs away on the beach. Cap fells him with the shield. Red Skull picks up the shield and throws the shield at Cap. Then Cap and Red Skull exchange in some great fisticuffs on the beach before um, before uh, Red Skull is able to spray Cap with gas, drop, dropping him, and it receives the object of his desire, which is the Cosmic Cube. Cap in Tales of Suspense 81 picks up after Red Skull um, throttles him with kicks and blows. Um, Red Skull sees a future as the conqueror of the universe. He has the cosmic cube in his grasp. He summons this artificial um, uh, constructed man. He kind of looks like the Absorbing Man. He's not the Absorbing Man, but he looks like him if Absorbing Man was orange and made of hard dirt. He summons him from dirt. This dirt monster battles Cap. They, he, he just throttles him, throws rocks on him. They trade blows. And there's a great three-quarter page where, where Cap just leans into him and smashes him and puts him out of his misery. And then he faces off against 
Red Red Skull, who has now become Conqueror Skull in golden armor, but uh, Cap isn't having it. He attempts to seize the the cosmic cube. It uh it 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 the, the entire um kind of island beachhead crumbles and begins to shatter and and fall into the sea. And the 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 cosmic cube is lost. And Cap swims away onto a a isolated piece of rock that is still um uh, jetting out from from the ocean waters and he stands alone as we see the cosmic cube washed away onto the ocean floor so uh pretty great pretty great stuff jack kirby non-stop action the, the great thing about those tales of suspense you know you're getting like 12 12 8 to 12 10 pages an issue again he split tales of suspense with iron man so you got um adventures with both of them but had to have Jack Kirby on the list. Action-packed. There is never a moment to breathe in here. I mean, when Cap jumps from a experimental rocket onto an AIM plane, jumps into the cockpit, is battling the guy, they eject the seat he's holding on. I mean, this is inspired. This is great stuff. This is fantastic work. Jack Kirby, prime Jack Kirby, the tales of suspense. Um, 79, 80, 81. They, they are an absolute blast. You should, you should track them down if they're available on a on a cheap download you'll you'll get a kick out of them now i'm going to go straight into no you know what i'm i'm, I'm going to pivot i'm not going to get there yet we are going to go uh into an extended and i can recommend this entire series it started in uh 1975 carried through and merged with another title and then they went on to uh become stronger together and that is iron fist iron fist and power man power man and iron fist the entire iron fist comic book depicted by John Byrne uh, who, who picked it up after after the start with with Gil Kane John Byrne uh, draw I mean every single issue has some epic monster throwdown in it and and John is in rare form again the first issue uh, is rough John Byrne but he finds his 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 um footing throughout this series it is um Again, 1975, 1976 is when this book launched. So if, again, if you're going to look for it, download it, you want to get it right, these are the years. You can hear the um, the pages flipping as I as I look through them. I mean, the first issue, he's battling Iron Man. It's a great Gil Kane cover. Um, s shortly thereafter, in the middle of the run, he is battling the Wrecking Crew, and they have never, ever been depicted better. The Wrecking Crew was this uh, supervillain group that had been through um, the Avengers titles and... You know, one of them had a crowbar. One of them had chains. Um, that that they're they're uh, just a, a great uh, group of villains along the way. Iron Fist throws down with all manner of um, Ma Master Khan is one of the guys that he battles. He uh, he he battles um, just just uh, let me see. Is this guy named Scimitar? Scimitar, Master Khan again as he works his way to the Wrecking Crew. Um, and 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 again, there's there's a guy with a with a ball and chain thunderball. There's a guy with a crowbar. This the, the action. Uh, Byrne was kind of kind of doing Gil Kane before Frank Miller was doing Gil Kane, and they just have uh, epic um, fisticuffs, martial arts. John Byrne knew how to throw a punch, to throw a kick, to throw a figure. Um, always a ton of power and great clarity. He has great clarity. In, in the chore action choreography. And Iron Fist has always been a really exciting character because he, he, he um, you know, 
integrates the martial arts of like Sons of the Tiger and Shang-Chi, so many of the different characters that we talked about in the uh, in the Kung Fu fighting episode where where really 70s martial arts became everything and were everywhere and that was the comics that everyone was digging. Um, and then he, he has the supernatural fist that, that, you know, powers up and can shatter virtually anything. Um, so by the time we hit Iron Fist 12, Iron Fist 12 is... Cap versus Captain America versus Iron Fist. Another he, Burn really accelerated um, his his action uh, choreography with this issue. I think this is one of the top issues. He advances the way that he does multiple figures. Like before, Iron Fist kind of lands on the final action pose. Let's call it the windup. John Byrne would do tons of windups. Frank Miller and Gil Kane excelled at the windup too. Like seeing the character in the four different. Um, tumbles or 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 um, poses before he strikes the final kick or fi- the, the final blow. And John Byrne is fantastic in this issue. Cap's entrance is a full splash page. He throws his shield at Iron Fist. Iron Fist counters with his martial arts. Cap, a, a trained soldier, counters back. They knock each other into walls, kick each other into, into different circuitry. Um, as Iron Fist is finally going to summon his... Uh, power to put Cap out. Cap reaches his shield, is able to deflect the bat, the, the blow, but is is himself thrown quite a distance through a wall by the power that Iron Fist unleashes um, on him. And uh, and again, then, uh, then b- because of the instability of all the damage they've done to the building, the building is going to fall on them, and Cap recognizes this and saves Iron Fist from... Um, from the building collapse, and of course the Wrecking Crew shows up in the middle of all this, and then Iron Iron Fist and Cap have to combine and take out the um, united forces of the Wrecking Crew, who we already saw Iron Fist battle capably several issues earlier. Boomerang arrives in the next issue. He is a fantastic... I, I love Boomerang's design. I love all the placements of the Boomerangs on him. He makes a formidable um, foe for Iron Fist to battle. But I would be um, remiss if I did not mention that uh, that issue 14 of Iron Fist costs a pretty penny on the open market because it is the first issue, the debut, the introduction of Sabretooth. Sabretooth did not in, uh, premiere or was not introduced in an X-Men book or a Wolverine title. He was introduced in Iron Fist 14. It takes place in the snow. The title of the book is Snowfire. And this is an excellent, oh my gosh, Iron Fist is on the run in the snow trying to make it to shelter. There is a hired hand, Sabretooth, who is striking immediately as a kid. I remember uh, I was supposed to go directly from Sunday school to church uh, when when I had this issue. I walked in between Sunday school and church to the liquor store because what I've never told you guys about the four corners of my magic youth with 7-Eleven liquor store and the, and the Stater Brothers is it was also two blocks down from the church that my grandfather and my father started. And uh, and so that day I went to get a Slurpee between St. Church, between Saint Sunday School and Big Church. I grabbed this iron fist off the spinner rack for, you know, the price, the measly price of 30 cents. And uh, again, this is 1977. I went into my parents' back, back seat of the car which was open, and I read the comic instead of going to church, and man, did I get in trouble. Boy, do I remember this comic book so well and how much I was blown away by um, Sabretooth. He is vicious. He tears through with his claws. Iron Fist at one point. Iron Fist um, 
you know, uh, is blinded by the sun coming up and reflecting off the snow. So he is, in essence, um, lost his sight as as Sabretooth uh, really, uh, you know, uh, presses the attack against him. And then he has to remember his training, Iron Fist does, and how to move through sound instead of sight. And he counteracts and eventually takes down um, Sabretooth. It is an excellent, exciting, amazing issue. And the entire series wrapped up uh, with him battling the X-Men. He arrives at the X-Mansion as the Avengers are, uh, as the X-Men are arriving back from their adventures. Um, with the Shi'ar and the Imperial Guard, it's literally a complimentary issue to the very first issue John Byrne of X-Men, did of X-Men, which is 108. At the end of that issue, the X-Men are transported back home from the galaxy, you know, across the galaxy, and when Iron Fist is in the mansion, he is seen as an intruder by no less than Wolverine, who then, um, uh, uh, g again, trades blows, claws, Night Nightcrawler, and, uh, and, and Colossus join the fray, Banshee, Iron Fist has to face off against each and every one of them until Phoenix arrives, displaying her power, telling everybody to calm the F down, okay? So we then pivot to two issues of Marvel Team-Up where Iron Man teams up with Spider-Man in a two-part adventure with the Daughters of the Dragon, um, and they battle a, a uh, another uh, kind of rogue from Kunlun, which, where, which is where Danny Rand, Iron Fist, was trained. His name is Steel Serpent, and, and, and it is an exciting, amazing, action-packed, thrilling uh, kicks, headbutts, uh, karate chops, Fist thrown, Spider-Man in the mix, um, webs, sw you know, swinging kicks, all of this stuff. So, so the uh, the they actually introduce them as the daughters of Dragon, which is which is um, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, who went on to become kind of the echo, the, the female version of Iron Fist and Power Power Man, who would team up after this in the Power Man comic book. Iron Fist, Colleen Wing, and Misty Knight. Misty Knight was a detective. Uh, in the Power Man comic book, Colleen Wing was also a detective who had a sword, a katana, had um, martial arts training, and they became kind of like these badass detectives. The Daughters of the Dragon had several features throughout Marvel, became supporting characters in the Power Man Iron Fist book. But as of Power Man issue 48, Iron Fist arrives on the scene. It was the, the both books were struggling in the sales, and Marvel decided that they would combine these two grindhouse concepts. The kind of uh, Harlem Defender, uh, which 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 in my um, in my diversity in comics, which was one of my first podcasts, one of the earliest ones, maybe episode three or four, diversity in comics, which showed how 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 Marvel and DC both in the late seventies put forth their best effort and started really focusing on black superheroes and um, and again the, the the martial arts line of, of of characters, which was very respectful. Um, Shang-Chi, Sons of Tiger, uh, Daughters of the Dragon, Iron Fist. But uh, the, the Power Man was the best-selling of all these. Black Lightning over at DC and Power Man, uh, again, as this, um, which was which was kind of uh, this superhero version of the Shaft films that were out in the, in the, in the 70s and, 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 and had, a, had a slight, slight one foot, I, I would say, in black exploitation, especially with the villains. That, that, that were depicted, depicted. I bought all the Power Mans. He was one of my favorite characters. I wanted to be Luke Cage. I wanted to be Power Man. The sales could have been stronger. So they teamed him and Iron Fist up. And Iron Fist 
book got canceled. And in 1977, he transitions into Power Man's book, but not officially until the 50th issue. In issues 48 and 49, Iron Man arrives. Now, this issue, issue 48 of Power Man, is one of the most action-packed comic books in, in the history of the Bronze Age. Literally 14 of these 17 pages are pure action. It opens with Luke Cage smashing through Colleen Wing's apartment. Colleen Wing puts her... Uh, uh, martial arts to use. They fight for six, seven panels. It carries on to the next page. I mean, Luke Cage has really tons of strength, mega strength. He charges at her. She flips over him, leaps over him, um, is able to uh, 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 escape him until he drops a bunch of furniture on her head. Then Misty Knight arrives and open, you know, opens fire on her. She has her firearm. Um, Luke Cage is hard enough to withstand bullets. His his Skin is as hard as steel. So at that point, um, Danny Rand is dating Misty Knight, and he emerges, he arrives at the apartment with his iron fist fully energized, and he, full page, knockout, splash page, knocks Power Man completely out of the penthouse. And then across the street, Power Man rages back, runs across the street, leaps up into the apartment, and then has full fist of cups with iron fist until they come to a uh, a, a bit of a truce, but it is a spectacular three-page battle where they are just kicking, hitting, pounding each other. Um, and then we pivot to issue 49 where they combine their for um, their forces and to battle the Bushmaster, one of what I would say one of the black exploitation villains. And again, another action-packed issue all the way up until issue 50. And I remember grabbing this on the way to my Aunt Ginny's house. I was spending a Tuesday night over at my Aunt Ginny's house. They had this on the spinner rack. My parents were allowing me to get a comic book because they were dropping me off there for the night. And uh, and and uh, I would often spend my 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 uh, my nights, my, I would often spend time with my, at my cousin's house and, and her, um, to, to her, her, my aunt and uncle, Ginny and Tom. And this has rich memories because I remember pulling up at their dining room table. It was after dinner, so it wasn't in, in, in case of supper or dinner, but I was just... I broke it open and I absorbed this Power Man Iron Fist cover by Dave Cockrum. Crazy action. Two awesome um, villains called Hammer and Anvil. They they work in tandem. They're connected by these coils. They attack this um, d fancy gala and Iron Man, uh, Iron Fist and Power Man switch off and tackle them. And again, it is another 14 of 17 pages of nonstop ruthless action. It spills out into the streets, the snow, you got blasts, you got gunfire, you got karate kick, you got huge um, displays of strength. The entire Iron Fist run and then Power Man 48, 49, and 50 where it combines and becomes Power Man Iron Fist are some of the most action-packed, polished, beautiful, cl very clean lines, um, clear choreography. Um, th th these are um, epic collections from Marvel that collect both of these. I have all of the singles in my Mylar bags, out in my boxes, in my collection, but these are comics that are worth your time. You will see whether it's Iron, Fast, Iron Fist versus Captain America versus Power Man versus Sabretooth versus the entire X-Men. The emphasis on this book was pure action from wall to wall. Now, uh, we would be remiss not to mention the the master of action choreography, and that would be um, the, the the genius that is uh, uh, Frank Miller. And 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 Frank Miller uh, debuted on Daredevil, and and shortly after making his debut, he took over as writer. And um, he is uh, 
one of my favorite all-time issues of Daredevil uh, is is uh, is Daredevil 169, where Bullseye has escaped uh, from the insane asylum, and he is wandering the streets of uh, of New York City, committing the most random acts of of ruthless violence, and uh, Frank Miller depicts to me the the best of all his fisticuffs. Um, it, it it I mentioned this in the "Where's the Action" segment earlier in this episode. It starts on the streets. It 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 uh it continues. You know, we we visit some rooftops, and eventually we find ourselves down in the subway station, and uh, you see the the depths of depravity that Bullseye is capable of, the ruthlessness that he exhibits in just casually killing people. It is it is it's the first time when I was a kid. This is like 1979. Okay, so at that point, I am I am 12 and loving every damn minute of this comic book because it is Frank drew as clean as the choreography was with John Byrne. The harder the hits, the more intensity of the blows. Frank Miller knew how to throw a punch, a kick, a headbutt, and you get all of it in Daredevil 169. The most action-packed, my favorite action issue. And seriously, there is an issue of Daredevil where he battles the Hulk. And you go, this is a complete mismatch, but Hulk is confused and angry, and, 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 and Daredevil basically has to try and slow him down without hurting himself, which means he has to stay out of the way of his most powerful blows the entire time. I mean, every issue of Frank Miller's Daredevil is packed with crazy action. It was built on a platform, um, on a menu of being the very best action in comic books. But I think Daredevil 169 with the battle with Bullseye and how it culminates down in the subway. And I'm going to tell you the decision that Daredevil makes at that time. The decision he makes at the end of that issue haunts him for the rest of Frank Miller's run, because it, 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 if if he makes a different decision, so much goes differently. But uh, I am telling you, Daredevil one sixty nine standalone, fantastic. I, I mean, if only there were standalone issues like this now that that exhibit this kind of action choreography, grace and tension. Because I mean, the entire the, again, Bullseye is escalating the entire issue. And Daredevil feels at, at one point that he's in over his head. So it is it is a great excursion. So, so far we have got this epic Power Man Iron Fist, Jack Kirby's Tales of Suspense, um, Daredevil's, um, you know, Daredevil, Frank Miller's Daredevil 169 with Bullseye. But uh, a real kick, something you are going to get the, the biggest kick out of, is, in my opinion, the best arc. We're back to John Byrne again, but... The writer of this is equally as responsible for how awesome this is. And that is Jim Shooter, who had, again, come to acclaim as a kid, as a teenager, writing stories for DC Comics and getting them published at 14 years of old. He is the youngest published, longest tenured writer in the history of comic books. He did a multi-year run on Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, and he wrote those from his house. They were compelling enough that they decided to publish him and became a regular writer. And he is writing super like Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes for a huge chunk of the 70s, 72, 73, 74. 
75, 76, he goes to DC. He becomes an, an editor. He is about to become the editor-in-chief. But before he does that, and he writes the absolute groundbreaking Korvac saga, which we've co- covered um, on this podcast before. Uh, Korvac, one of the most terrifying uh, nemesis that the Avengers have ever faced. But there is a three-issue adventure that Jim Shooter wrote with John Byrne penciling that to me is one of the greatest superhero team battles that has ever been depicted. Um, people of my age, the, these pages, this original art goes for more than any of the other John Byrne art because of the coveting nature of wanting a page of this best memory that we have of our childhoods. This three issues, again, whether I'm on a Facebook group, a Twitter group, talking to fans at a convention, a store, people of my age who encountered this. It's Avengers 164, 165, and 166. We call it the Count Nefaria saga. Count Nefaria had been an existing kind of mustache-twirling villain. He was a investor, a rich man. He invested in, 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 uh, in research and development of technology. He is, in fact, in X-Men 94, after Giant Size X-Men is established and the new X-Men are there, he is responsible for the first death of the X-Men, which is Thunderbird. That's all part of Count Nefaria. Cool name. I mean, weird name, but Count Nefaria by himself has this cool, like, uh, Count of Monte Cristo look. Uh, white beard streak in his hair. And, and um, he, is, he kidnaps three very formidable villains. Uh, he, makes, he, makes, uh, well, he makes offers to them doesn't kidnap them, but they, they aren't aware that they're being used as part of his experiment. There is a long-standing Power Man uh, uh, superhero called Power... A, a Power Man, Luke Cage Power Man, had a, a a battle with another guy who was known as Power Man. And he was, like, as strong as Superman. Super... I mean, he would battle Luke Cage toe-to-toe. Well, he is trying to go straight here in, in terms of not committing crimes and he's working construction, and Count Nefarious shows up with his monocle and his Count of Monte Cristo look and offers him a ton of money to join him. Um, He then has Living Laser, who fires these, I mean, very devastating laser blasts that are uh, on his own. He has battled the Avengers toe-to-toe and Iron Man before. Living Laser, great design, great-looking character. And then there's the Whirlwind, who spins around and creates super-speed cyclone. So he has super-speed. Well, Nefaria... Uh, hires them to commit a job, knowing that the Avengers are going to show up and counter them. So he is watching how they um, interact with the Avengers. And at the end of this heist, he takes each of them and puts them in a machine and robs each of them of their abilities and powers. Um, First, he ramps up all their powers. I, I, I forgot to mention this. He personally ramps up all of their powers. And um, you see how they can go toe-to-toe with the Avengers even better than they did in the heist. Power Man is throttling um, uh, uh, Beast and Captain America and most of all Wonder Man, who has the power of Superman himself. Wonder Man is one of the signature. Wonder Man can go toe-to-toe with the Hulk. Thor, the the most powerful um, characters in the Marvel Universe, and he is, that's why he was such an adored Avenger character. Um, But as they are battling the Avengers with their amped up powers, they begin to lose them. And that's because all those powers have gone into the body of Count Nefaria, who no longer walks with a cane, does not have his monocle, and he is dressed in red and blue and is very much, and here's where this is very exciting, it is obvious to even to me, as he is standing in a three-quarter splash at the end of Avengers 164, that he is a Superman now Echo. He has super strength, super speed, and these laser um, 
abilities that he's going to fire through his eyes, like Superman's heat vision. He, the entire next issue is him kicking the Avengers' ass up one side of Manhattan and down the other. He takes on Wonder Man, he takes on Beast, he takes on Cap, the shield, he takes on Iron Man, he takes on the full force. Beast and Cap at one point throw the shield at um, Nefaria. Nefaria decides, why am I even playing with you guys? I am so far superior, and he is drunk on his own power. He is dressed in this Superman, this black and blue and red caped concoction, and, and he is just so excited that instead of being the benefactor, he is now the heavy. He is the heavy that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Earth Mightiest, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. He decides, why am I even bothering with them? And he drops an entire building on them. He drops an entire building on the Avengers to go about his business. Iron Man emerges, leads, um, um, frees the Avengers from the rubble, and, and rallies them to take a second swing at him. Wonder Man is legitimately worried in, in regards to the fact that he could die facing this guy because he hit him so hard, and if somebody as powerful as Wonder Man can feel it, then then what does that bode for the rest of them? But uh, Beast, again, Beast, Black Panther, Iron Man, Scarlet Witch, they go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Iron Man battles him. Just they, they are trading blows, and it is not denting Nefaria. He does away with him. And then Wonder Man jo joins the fray, and there is an entire page where they are trading blows, and he does not understand why Nefaria is not being dropped or affected at all. It is, in fact, uh, Nefaria continues to say, I am far stronger, faster, and more powerful than you. And he feels like he's getting more powerful with the page. So that is an entire, there is not a page on this issue that is not action-packed. And I'm telling you, every single Avenger takes their turn taking their blows at Nefaria. What changes is the last page. There is a giant thunderstorm and lightning, and through the the the, the portal comes Thor. And Thor is throwing his hammer directly at Nefaria's face, and that is the last page. It is a killer cliffhanger. I remember as a kid just being dropped to my knees, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for next month. Immediately, Thor and Nefaria go at it. And Nefaria uses his laser blast, um, like, like, like Superman's heat vision. He is pummeling Thor fist to fist. And again, he drops another building, decides, why am I battling with this guy when I can draw a building on him? Thor um, summons a lightning storm, casts it down on Nefaria. It still doesn't stop him. He strikes his hammer straight into Nefaria's hand, and Nefaria catches it and stops it as if it was like Thor just swinging a bat. And Thor's like, oh my gosh, this guy just caught my hammer? And, and is like... And Thor says his Odin's blood. Like, you can't believe it. Like, oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Vision is waking up. Uh, Beast, Yellow Jacket, they're all getting ready to take another shot at him. Vision uh, leaves Avengers Mansion, the remains of it, because it's in, it's shattered, and, and, and tries to join up with Thor to battle Nefaria. Nefaria is continuing to pummel them. He, he grabs a giant city bus and throws it at Thor at the, at the end. But then he's starting to see that Nefaria is starting to see that he is looking older. And the the scientist that created him staggers out into the streets and says, you are naive and arrogant. You gave me the chance to transform you, but you didn't want to listen to the side effects and the means that which you are aging every 10 minutes a, a full um, a, a year. Um, um, sh 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 uh, he is rating, he is he is, rating, he is aging a month every 10 minutes, a year every two hours. And Nefaria then freaks out, but then he gets even more frantic and starts pummeling the Avengers. One of the best scenes in here is Captain America is too weak to go back out and fight. Again, because he doesn't have the kind of super strength that Thor and Iron Man and Wonder Man does. He hands Wonder Man his shield and says, 
you'll need this in defense of the laser beams and everything else he's going to throw at you. So Wonder Man joins the fray, jumps in. His costume is tattered because Nefaria has torn it apart. And he jumps into the fray with his hammer. I mean, with his shield. Cap's shield. And it's like kind of Superman with a shield battling Superman without a shield. In the end, Iron Man, Thor, they all combine, but it is only because Nefaria is weakening. And then Vision flies high above the city, um, gets a full mile above Manhattan, turns to the density of a diamond, and drops into free fall and hits Nefaria, which finally knocks Nefaria out. And they realize that the supercells that Nefaria had developed within himself um, were in all likely going to kill him and they talk about putting him in some sort of suspended animation but it takes the entire might combined might and some you know weakness that nefaria exhibits to take him down but it is the three most action-packed comic books that i have ever th those are the best pure action comics again what i just list wonder man iron man the beast black panther vision captain america scarlet witch yellow jacket the wasp thor 10 avengers um, barely make a dent in this guy and it was very much Jim Shooter doing Superman versus the Avengers and how it would feel if Superman, a Superman style guy who has strength and flight and speed and heat vision um, and his impenetrable skin would fare against the Avengers. It's, it is a romp. That is a 1977 epic. It is one of the, um, again, one of the most celebrated Avengers comics from my youth, I would love to see that adapted at some point in live action. Nefaria is a wicked, um, uh, uh, dastardly, sinister um, um, villain uh, with, with, again, a giant bankroll and a, and, and a criminal mind and the means with which to transform himself to where, like, I mean, literally, when I'm, I'm, I'm talking, he lifts skyscrapers and drops them on the Avengers. It is, it is so fun. It is so well drawn. Again, Burn really made a name for himself as a premier action artist. We have two more to go. Um, one is is going to be a book that is, is is a little more modern. It came out in in 1994, and this is a book that I helped write and 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 conceive, and and yet it belongs because Stephen Platt, the artist of Profit, this is Profit number eight. It is part two of the War Game storyline. Carl Allstetter and Stephen Platt combined. Carl on Bloodstrike 15 and 16, and in the middle. Part two of this saga, War Games, crossed over into Prophet, and Prophet battles a character that I have called Bloodstrike, and it is the uh, the entire battle takes place in the sewers. It is some of the most vicious, brutal, R-rated blades, spears, swords, knives, daggers. Um, Prophet number eight is my buddy Jimmy J calls me up last year. He says, "Rob, I know Prophet's, you know." They're writing a script for it, and I went digging for my, my prophets. I'm looking through them. Rob, have you looked at Prophet 8 yet? And Jimmy says, I believe it is the finest, most explosive extreme comics comic book you ever did at your studio. I'm like, I, I, I think you're onto something. I remember it very well. I went out to my box, popped open the Prophet, popped it out, examined it, and was like, oh my gosh, it is far better than I ever possibly remembered. And I mean, I'm looking at it now. I mean, the the nothing I've shared with you has the R rating that this does. The impaling of both of these characters with spears and swords, and it's the kind of stuff that we did right regularly at 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 Extreme. But this is this is easily the best 
version of that. Now, not a frame is wasted that there is not blood, guts, and punches thrown. And this is 20 pages of absolute, incredible, um, brutal, as brutal action as you're ever going to find or see. And it's, 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 um, it is worth you checking out. Stephen Platt, the, the bulging muscles, the veins. I, I dare you to find a comic in the Image Age from Top Cow, from Wildstorm, from anybody else that was this vicious and fun. It is great. It is clear. Stephen was having a blast. He penciled and inked this himself um, for the most part. Okay, no, he had he had some help. Marlo did some inks on this. Marlo Alkaiza, one of his dedicated inkers at Extreme. But I know Stephen did some of these pencils and inks himself because he worked at the, at the studio and I saw these pages and they are magnificent and you should track them down. Part of the, the, the war game issues, the Carl Allstetter issues 15 and 16 are definitely worth tracking down. Enjoy it all. Carl does some explosive action um, in the pages of Bloodstrike as well. But sometimes you wander upon an action masterpiece. And this issue of Profit, 1994, Profit number eight, War Games number two, an extreme sacrifice tie-in no less, is nothing short of amazing. Now, I am ending with a Fantastic Four storyline. It is not by Jack Kirby, but that doesn't mean it is not worth your time and it is not spectacular on its own merits. In 1978, an incredible storyline, one of my top, I would vote this my top favorite Fantastic Four story of all time is, uh, is, is, is the, the Fantastic Four issues 196 to 200. And it involves Doctor Doom kidnapping uh, Thing, Human Torch, and Sue Storm. They are attacked in 196, and they are delivered by the end of that issue to Latveria, where Doctor Doom puts them under his control. And the purpose is to facilitate making his son, the end of 196, this splash page with Doctor Doom cackling, standing triumphantly over the fallen bodies of Sue Storm, of Sue uh, Sue Richards, Johnny Storm, and Ben Grimm, the fallen Fantastic Four, and he really wasn't—he um, wasn't featured heavily. He—he's kind of the guy that comes out of the shadows. You don't know he's the bad guy in, through, through the course of this issue, but when he finally gets control of them and delivers them, and then the big reveal. Oh my gosh, this is a Doctor Doom plot. It's so exciting. The next month, we visit with Reed Richards, who is high above the stars in a Skylab where he battles a long-standing Fantastic Four character called the Red Ghost. And and this is a great... Now, Keith Pollard is drawing these issues. Some are inked by Pablos Marcos. The the the, the um, end issues, 97, 98, um, 99, 200, are by Joe Sinnott. But uh, Keith Pollard, you don't hear me say his name again uh, enough, and I, and, and I am remiss... In doing that, he was very much a John Buscema disciple, master storyteller, beautiful figure work, and had the dynamics of Kirby and Buscema. Very polished, especially with John, Joe Sinnott on top of him. Keith was his own man, but he had all of those influences. Very much, uh, again, when I say John Buscema taught, belonged on the Mount Rushmore, it is because of the influence he had on people like Mark Silvestri and Keith Pollard. And Keith Pollard, it's funny, he did Spider-Man 200, he did Thor 300, and he did Fantastic Four um, 200 all within the span of a year. This guy was the go-to penciler in the late 70s for Marvel. He delivered time and again P-O-L-L-A-R-D Pollard, Keith Pollard. Anything you pick up from him is going to be worth your while. He had extended runs on Spider-Man, on Fantastic Four, and on Thor. And the Thor stuff and the Fantastic Four stuff is just fantastic. But this battle in this Skylab 
He does a great Reed Richards. His read is as strong and as powerful as any Reed Richards I've ever seen portrayed, and that includes Jack Kirby and John Byrne, two of my all-time favorites. I think Keith draws the best Reed Richards out of all of them. He, he, he When he stretches and punches you with a, uh, an elongated, enlarged hand, it's fantastic. Um, Reed is able to escape the attack on the space lab by 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 Red Ghost, but when he returns back to Earth at the end of the issue, he is informed by Nick Fury, no less, that his wife, his brother-in-law, and his best friend are captives of Doctor Doom in Latveria. This then sets up the Son of Doom storyline. Doctor Doom has a son, and he. We meet him in the storyline. His name is Zorba, and uh, he is actually battling against Doom with Latverian freedom fighters. But but Doom is um I'm sorry that Zorba is a separate character. I, I <laughs> sorry Woo, slipped on slipped on that slipped on that um, egg peel right there the uh, banana peel. The the thing is um the the sun. Zorba is with the, the the Latverian freedom fighters, and he is going to help Doctor Doom breed. He is going to help breed Richards. Man, I am just getting ahead of myself today. He is Zorba, and the Latverian freedom fighters are going to help Doom get um, into get Reed Richards into Latveria to defeat Doom, who is going to big reveal here um, transfer his powers. The, the, the Fantastic Four's powers into the body of his son. And and, and again, what, what is more perfect than Doom taking his most hated foes and transferring their powers into his son, who he will name as his heir? And, uh, and, and his son very much, Victor Von Doom II, looks very much like how Victor Von Doom was portrayed before the explosion, the scar, the traditional... Um, uh, uh, origin of Doctor Doom. I did an entire episode detailing Doctor Doom, how he's one of the best uh, villains in the history of, of 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 storytelling, of myth, of legend, not just comic books. Um, in in the genre, he's one of the very best. Victor Von Doom II is receiving the crown, has received the transform transformational rays from. Uh, Doom scientists that are going to put all these powers into his son, Victor Von Doom II. And they're having a giant ceremony while Reed is with, working with Zorba and the Latverian freedom fighters to breach the defenses of Latveria. Of course, Zorba and Reed, Reed they, they actually reach um, his wife and brother-in-law and Ben Grimm and free them. They're in a slightly weak, weakened state, but at the end, at the very tail end, of, of issue 199. It, uh, uh, at the very t- the, 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 the end of that issue, his son starts going through this tremendous pain. He's been crowned. He's the heir. He's going to succeed his father. His father is laughing maniacal. Um, I, I think we have reason to believe that his son is, is also genetically, you know, been genetically uh, created himself. But his son starts breaking, his clothes start ripping open, and he's transforming halfway through what we see the, the, the thing become whenever Ben Grimm transforms into the thing. So he's he's still kind of in a, in a physical form, but he has rocks all over them, and he's freaking out. He's like, what have you done to me, Father? And he has all of the Fantastic Four's powers that were pour, poured into him. The invisible force shields of Sue Storm, the heat of, of, uh, 
of of of, of Johnny Storm. They have found a way to take Reed's stretching powers through other means because Reed wasn't um, kidnapped and his powers weren't put forth into him, but they had a cheat code for that. So he's as strong as the thing, has the rock-hard skin, but remain, retains his his pretty hair, but is now hideous, um, can battle, can, can throw fire blasts like Human Torch, has the invisible force fields and, the, and, and all that different power of, of Sue Storm, and he unleashes on his father. How dare you turn me into this freak? The cover is fantastic. It has the transformed sun, and it says, uh, what is the startling secret of the son of Dr. Doom? And on the cover, the giveaway is there, his... his his uh, Victor Von Doom II's clothes are torn. He's blasting at his father with a... Uh, he, he's got rock skin. He's blasting at his father with his, his firepower, and he's lifting uh, a giant machine above his arm as Doom is blasting at him, and it says, To rule the world, I must slay my own son. And, 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 and uh, his son says, If you do, then you will die as well. Fantastic. 1978, strongest. So to, to stop his son from killing him, Von Doom kills his son. And he says, you speak blasphemous lies. I, I won't hear any more um, because the son says, is this what you thought would benefit me? Um, um, you know, you've lost your own humanity through all this father. And Doom completely surges electricity through his body and kills him. And then he turns to the Fantastic Four and says, I'm going to punish you. And that is the double-sized Fantastic Four Jack Kirby cover. Jack Kirby did the cover for Fantastic Four number 200. It is fantastic. Doom versus Reed Richards. This is what this all comes down to. They clear the plate very quickly to the point where Zorba and the Latverian freedom fighters are trying to take control of Latveria. Um, Doom is trying to get away. Reed uh, attacks Doom on his own. Let me just get you to the end of this. And they talk about their grievances, the college days, the betrayal, how when um, Von Doom was expelled from 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 the, the university, he went into the occult, he learned supernatural powers, uh, and, and became the villain, the armored conqueror, the, the monarch of Latveria. Let me tell you, there has never been a better battle between Reed Richards and Dr. Doom. They are going at it heavy. Reed is striking him as, with blows as hard as he can, using every ounce of power in, it, with his elasticity and the fact that he can hit with such force. Doom is, is using every power within his armaments, blasting him. Reed is wrapping him up, tossing him, throwing him. D Doom is electrifying him. He traps Reed in this chamber with fire and spikes, and Reed is fighting for his life. Reed breaks through through and, and finally exposes Doom to this machine that will neutralize Doom's uh, 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 threat. And, and Reed has these goggles on and they just go at it and they pound each other. And, and literally these blows that they are battling and again the history by 1978, the 15, 16 year history between these two guys, okay? And almost 20 years. Uh, 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 this legacy of Doom and Reed Richards, and 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 it has come down to. I mean, we've seen Doom kill his own son, but but Doom will not be destroyed that easily. He he tries to um to freeze with these these uh, this Freon. He tries to freeze Reed. Reed breaks out by expanding himself to the limits where the the, the ice shatters. And again, Doom, Doom in tattered clothes, the best I've ever. His cowl is gone. He is just in his armored face mask. His clothes are ripped. 
Again, we love ripped clothes. Artists, we love to depict the rips, the tears. It means that the violence and the brutality is there. Reed's clothes are ripped to shred. Reed um, makes his hand into these giant hammers, spiked hammers and pummels doom. It is, again, this goes on for five, six pages of them just trading wicked blows. And you see that Reed will not go down and doom will not go down. And finally, Reed strips him of his mask. The, the machine that he was trying to expose him to completely... Um, overwhelms him without the mask. It, it blasts his eyes. Doom is dropped. The Fantastic Four are able to leave Latveria, and Zorba is now the leader. He is the he and his rebellion have overtaken, and he is crowned the uh, new leader of of the people until they're going to help hold elections. But Doom has been neutralized. It is a double sized 1978 super sized Fantastic Four number 200. Keith Pollard, Joe Sinnott. Forgive me, Marv Wolfman of Teen Titans of Spider-Man um, wrote this epic. It is my favorite Fantastic Four story, The Son of Doom, to see. And yeah, I've spoiled some of it, but it's still worth seeing. These are action-packed, as I told you that, and went through six consecutive pages of Reed Richards, scientist, who has to be Reed Richards, the fighter, the brute, with his strength, with his swollen, elastic arms, pummeling, turning them into hammers, spikes, um pummeling Doom, who is throwing everything he has at him. This, These are the comics that inspired me. This is the reason I'm in the comics business. Action. Action-oriented. The story is still there. There's threat. There's consequence. There's character. But it's through this lens of intense action. You guys. Profit number eight. Avengers 164, 165, um, 166. Fantastic Four 196 to 200. Tales of Suspense, okay, 79, 80, 81. I mean, these are some of the best action, flexes of action, and the entire run of John Byrne's Iron Fist running into Power Man, 48, 49, until Power Man and Iron Fist are joined in issue 50. These are some of the best. Yes, they're all Marvel. Hold it against me if you have to. We'll do some DC action comics next time around. But you guys, these are some of the best. Is that six? Is that seven of the best? Action comic books I could ever share with you. Comic books that will thrill you, that will amaze you, that have terrific storytelling, staging, um, power, gestures, action, consequences. You will dig them. Trust trust me on this one. It, this was one of my favorite subjects to tackle. Uh, I, I Hopefully I didn't wear you out. Hopefully you are inspired as I am. Action was... The, 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 the topic of the day, it was indeed the soup du jour. It was the appetizer. It was the salad. It was the main course. And it was the dessert. And I am so glad that I shared it with it. We went long today. I'm not going to read reviews today. I went so long on today's podcast. But thank you for listening. As always, um, I am humbled by the way that you guys hang out and listen to my show. And you are spreading the word. And you're telling people about it. We are um, just, just grabbing a bigger audience every day, spreading the word. I love this. I love sharing the past the history of comic books with people. And I, I know from, from some of you guys who have jumped on the boat maybe in the last 10, 15, 20 years, some of this is still brand new to you because we're going back 40, 45 years in some cases. Thank you again. Thank you for the bottom of my heart. Talk to me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. There's a blue check that verifies that's me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. That's a blue check. That verifies it's me. I'm on Facebook. I'm all over social media. I love to talk to you. I love to share time with you. I love to talk comic books and pop culture and all the stuff that we regularly um, um, take apart 
on Raw Observations on this show. You guys, you know the drill. You are going to take care of yourself. You are going to stay safe. And we're going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 